Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 1 Thou shalt not sacrifice unto the Lord thy God an ox or a sheep wherein is a blemish, even any evil thing, for that is an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now remember in the Bible evil just means bad for the most part. It doesn't always mean demonic. In today's language we think of evil as only being demonic. But in the Bible, most of the time that you see that word, it simply means bad. So if there's any bad thing in the animal, like a spot or lameness or a deformity or any kind of uh, disease, you cannot sacrifice that animal because Jesus had no evil in him. Two, if there be found in the midst of thee within any of thy gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman, that doeth that which is evil in the sight of the Lord thy God in transgressing his covenant. Three, and hath gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun, or the moon, or any of the host of heaven, which I have commanded not. For, and it be told thee, and thou hear it, then thou shalt inquire diligently, and behold, if it be true, and the thing certain, that such abomination is wrought in Israel. 5. Then shalt thou bring forth that man or that woman who have done this evil thing unto thy gates, even the man or the woman, and thou shalt stone them with stones that they die. In the Old Covenant, witchcraft of any kind is worthy of death, because if they don't kill the witch, the witch will teach it to other people. And witchcraft is an industry. It always has been. The witch always charges money to her clients or his clients to tell their fortunes and cast spells and things like that. They always charge money. They have clientele that they're teaching the witchcraft to. And that's why they had to be destroyed. In the new covenant, they can be forgiven, but we need to stay clear away from them except to tell them the gospel. So if you know somebody who reads horoscopes or tells fortunes or does any kind of witchcraft, if they're in a witch's coven, if they practice so-called white witchcraft, stay away from those people. They're going to drag you down. You can share the gospel with them and warn them that they need to repent, but if they resist, the gospel, then walk away. Reading fortune cookies and stuff like that, that's very serious. It is witchcraft. Some people think it's harmless. It's not harmless. Getting your palm read, getting your tea leaves read, all that stuff is full-blown witchcraft. It's all based on star worship and worship of nature, and it ultimately leads to sexual perversion because the pagans always do sexually perverted stuff. It's part of their religion. They are not good, and they'll only show us one side of them. They'll only show us the side of them that we can not be offended by. But if they're into a little bit of witchcraft, believe me, they're into a lot. They're just not showing you the full aspect of everything that they're doing. For instance, they may tell you your fortune and charge you $20, but then after you leave their house, then they start doing curses against you once your back is turned. Believe me, there's more going on than what they let you see. 6. At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is to die be put to death. At the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death. In the previous verses it said you have to do a diligent and thorough investigation. And now it's saying there has to be a minimum of two witnesses who say that this person is practicing witchcraft. Otherwise it's just malicious 
gossip and you cannot put the person to death based on malicious gossip. So the investigation has to reveal that in fact they are a witch. Seven, the hand of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people, so thou shalt put away the evil from the midst of thee. Now why does God always say the witnesses have to lay their hand on the person first, just like when you lay your hand on the goat or the lamb, they get slaughtered? When you lay your hand on the goat or the lamb getting slaughtered or the cow, you are imparting your sin into that animal, according to the Old Covenant. When they lay their hand on the guilty who they eyeball witnessed doing evil, they're showing the Lord, I don't take any part in what this person did, and I'm taking responsibility for what I saw. It's like they're witness to God that they are um, not in favor of the sin. They have to take the responsibility to expose it to the community. 8. If there arise a matter too hard for thee in judgment, between blood and blood, between plea and plea, and between stroke and stroke, even matters of controversy within thy gates, then shalt thou arise and get thee up unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. If a court case comes that's too difficult to decide, you absolutely cannot tell who is really to blame and there's no way to corroborate which story is true. In that case, you need the help of God. You're going to have to ask God who is guilty and who is the victim. 9. And thou shalt come unto the priests, the Levites, and unto the judge that shall be in those days, and thou shalt inquire, and they shall declare unto thee the sentence of judgment. Because they're going to ask God, and then God is going to tell them. 10. And thou shalt do according to the tenor of the sentence, which they shall declare unto thee from that place which the Lord shall choose, and that would be wherever the tabernacle is. And thou shalt observe to do according to all that they shall teach thee. Now up until this point, Moses has been the judge over Israel, with men under him, judging thousands and hundreds and tens. But he has been the ultimate judge of Israel. But he's getting ready to die, and when he dies, Joshua will be the next judge of Israel. And then when Joshua dies, then it will be another judge, and then another, and on and on. 11. According to the law which they shall teach thee, and according to the judgment which they shall tell thee, thou shalt do. Thou shalt not turn aside from the sentence which they shall declare unto thee, to the right hand, nor to the left. That means whatever the appointed judge of Israel says to do, you have to do it precisely. 12. And the man that doeth presumptuously in not hearkening unto the priest that standeth to minister there before the Lord thy God, or unto the judge, even that man shall die, and thou shalt exterminate evil from Israel. Ultimately, God is their judge, and then under that is an appointed person along with a high priest who asks the Lord. And under that is the other judges. But if you just take a matter into your own hands, now you are practicing evil because you don't have the authority to make that judgment. Therefore, you have to die. 13. And all the people shall hear and fear and do no more presumptuously. Meaning, each man is not allowed to decide what they think is right and wrong and then carry out the punishment. Because people will obviously decide selfishly in their own favor and they'll obviously decide in revenge. 14. When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are round about me. 15. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not put a foreigner over thee who is not thy brother. Moses knows, he's prophesying, that one day they'll beg God for a king. And God says, when that day comes that you ask God for a king, he has to be an Israelite. He cannot be a foreigner. 
16. Only he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, he shall henceforth return no more that way. Why is God against horses? Because the horses will enable them to go back to sin, to go back to Egypt. The king is not allowed to leave Israel. In Solomon's kingdom, Solomon did have a big horse corral. And Solomon started out faithful to God, but the older he got, the more wicked he became because he married all these wives because he made alliances with all the nations around him. So he would take pagan wives from the pagan nations. That corrupted his whole household, and he started practicing witchcraft and occult and Satanism through worshiping the pagan gods of his wives. And he did amass corrals of horses, huge barns and stables. It goes to follow that when you commit one sin and you don't repent of it, then you end up committing more sins, and then you don't repent of those, and then you just keep going downhill from there. And that's what happened to King Solomon. He started out with a little bit of sin with his first pagan wife, which was an Egyptian. Then he got another pagan wife and another pagan wife, and he kept following and doing what his pagan wives did, and and then he ended up with horses, which is what God didn't want. 17. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself that his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And all of this is what Solomon did. 18. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests the Levites. God says that they need to write the law down. Now Moses does write it down, and then it gets written down again and again throughout history. 19. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. And Solomon started out with the law of God. But then as the years went by and he had more and more pagan wives, he eventually lost his faith. And that's how we got the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a book written by a man with very little faith. And then he went completely pagan. 20. That his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment, to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. A king who is righteous will live a long life. And that concludes Deuteronomy chapter 17.